Today on Growing Through Grace. I guess inevitably, if you live in this world and you want to preach Jesus, sooner or later, the world that you try to reach in you are going to clash. The warfare is for the souls of men. Eventually, sooner or later, there is going to be this collision. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Has there been a point in your walk with the Lord when sharing your faith with someone caused a riot? Probably not, but that certainly is what happened to Paul in Ephesus. We'll find the account in Acts chapter 19, verse 21 through 41, and Pastor Jack will examine the sequence of events for us and show us how these circumstances could apply to our lives. So let's join our teacher for this practical study that he's titled simply, Overcoming Evil. Here's Pastor Jack. All right, let's open our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. We hope to be able to go from verse 21 through the end of the chapter. It's, it's, it's kind of one story together. It's hard to break up. But we'll start in verse 21 with these words. When these things were accomplished, two years and three months at least, Paul purposed in the spirit that, he had, that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he would go to Jerusalem saying, after this, I must be there. That's where I've been there. I must also see Rome. And so he went into Macedonia. Two of those who ministered to, to him, Timothy and Erasmus, but uh, he sent them, I should say, but he himself stayed in Asia now for a time. We know from verse 31 of chapter 20, when Paul meets with these elders to, of this church on his way back, that he said to them, you know how I've been with you for the last three years. There's two years and three months accounted for here. So we've got a little time, if you will. But during, after those two years and three months, and Paul would say quite a bit longer yet, um, he felt led in his spirit to move along. He sent uh, two of his guys ahead but he really felt like the Lord was moving. It's kind of like when he was in the midst of the revival at Corinth, if you were with us. We talked about how hard it is to hear God direct you when everything's going your way. If every door is shut, you go, well, the Lord told me to leave. <laughs> of course he did, because nothing's going your way. But if everything's going your way, and you go, I figure the Lord wants me to leave. That's a much harder step of faith. Philip did it in Samaria, you remember years earlier. In the midst of a revival, he was told to go out to the wilderness. So it is hard to hear God when... Like I said, things are going well. But here's a man that was clearly in touch with the Holy Spirit. Luke does not give us any details in the book of Acts here, but we know from the letters that Paul wrote from here to the Corinthians and to the Romans what his initial plans were. In fact, he, he wrote to both the Corinthians and the Romans that he intended to go through Greece to visit the churches. And you can look at your math reference as he went to Neapolis and Philippi and then went down the Aegean coast all the way to Athens. And that he wanted to visit the churches he had planted. He wanted to gather an offering that he wanted to take to the poor in Jerusalem. He did this before, but he felt it was more important now than ever. So he's hitting up all these Gentile churches and say, could you give to the poor in, 
in Jerusalem. Though Paul was never, I wouldn't say loved, but he was never very supportive. They weren't certainly fully supportive of Paul in Jerusalem. His love for the body there never wavered. And so this was a mercy mission in one sense. And there's a tangible, I think, lesson in the fact that you know, whenever you go to the mission field, there is always this feeling of unity and oneness, even though you may not speak the same language. I, I've noticed that the years that I've gone and visit our missionaries or been in some place where a mission was going on, that, that people just love you in the Lord. There's a different sense. And I, I, Paul really did want to go around to find out what might be you know, happening, and, and he wanted to bless and then hope to engage these folks to love others, especially those in Jerusalem who were suffering greatly, and financially they were just destitute in many ways. Paul wrote in the, in the Romans chapter 15 letter of his desire to go to Rome. He mentioned it in the Corinthian letter as well. In fact, in the Corinthian letter, chapter 16 of the first letter, he said to them, my plan is to stay through the winter here in Ephesus, here where he is now. But he sent his apostles ahead first. So Paul had plans to at least winter here before he would head out and around the horn there, so to speak. So we do see that the three years come pretty close with, with the time that he had spent on the way through the first time. When he wrote the Roman letter, Paul said that his desire was always to go to Rome. It had been a dream of his for years. But his explanation in chapter 1 of Romans was, God's really called me to go where there's no gospel that's been preached, and there was a church already established in Rome. We, we, we can guess at who started it and how it, got began, how it began, but Paul really had little to do with that, so to speak. That was going before Paul uh, was involved, and, and certainly he doesn't mention it at all. Um, but he wanted to go, and he said, I think that the Lord will now allow me to come. So from Paul's standpoint, here in Ephesus, after being on the road, you know, 10 or 11, 12 years by now, uh, here, here's a very optimistic guy. You know, he, he has not had an easy go of it. He's a man in his 50s that has constant vision, knows no restrictions, doesn't, doesn't look at the glasses half empty or, 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 or hopeless in, in, in his plans. Uh, he doesn't settle in. He never does things the same way twice. He's a man who has bigger goals and plans than his life can afford. And I think that that's a pretty good attribute to have in serving the Lord. We oftentimes get to where how little can we do and still be feeling good about things. Paul just dreamed huge dreams. God, I want to go here, then I want to go there, I want to go over there, I want to check these guys. He didn't seem to have enough you know, hours in the day to accomplish his work. He even mentions that when he goes to Rome or when he hopes to go to Rome, then he wants to go to, the, to Spain and he says, and then I want to go you know, past you to the islands and to the tribes. Not all of those the desires of Paul that he expressed in his epistles came to pass. A lot of places he never did get to go. But he dreamed about going, you know. He was willing to go. He was, he was hopeful and prayerful. He certainly loved the people he wanted to reach. Now, Paul would get to go to Rome, but not at all how he had planned. It would be an all-expense paid trip in handcuffs from the Roman government. And all expenses paid for his courtesy of the government who kept him in prison. But that would come at the end of what would be a three-year, 2,500-mile trip across <laughs> the world, so to speak, uh, ending up in Jerusalem. 
So we read here in verse 22 that, that he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead, if you will, and he would catch up with them. Erastus, and you might, if you take notes in your Bible, Erastus was the former treasurer of the city of Corinth. It's mentioned in Romans 16. He was a guy that came to the Lord through the ministry of Paul. He left a very prominent and well-paying job, if you will, being saved to head for the mission field. So here's a guy that just, he left a successful worldly existence to put himself in the, in the crosshairs of, of the Roman government, of the Jews, of the Judaizers, and of everyone else who didn't think being a Christian was a good idea. It was, was just about everyone. And, and he joined Paul. Paul was, like I said, going to stay here a little bit longer than the others, maybe as much as nine months longer. Uh, we don't know that for sure. Uh, we do know from verse 29 in this chapter that some of Paul's traveling companions were also still in Ephesus. So Paul was traveling with a bunch of guys at this point. Uh, you know, they're, they're not also easily identifiable in terms of what they were doing, but, but they are mentioned, if you will, by name. Luke is led here, though, in, in our chapter, to give us a very detailed account of a riot that took place in the town soon after these two men uh, of God, these servants of Paul, leave. And it is instigated by a union leader who uh, is stopped eventually by a high-ranking government official. If you know anything about Paul, and, and he's been here a long time now, and there hasn't been much trouble, but you know if there's trouble, he's probably in the middle of it somewhere. And, and he certainly is with this one. So we read in verse 23, and, and here's the time definition, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. There was a certain man named Demetrius. He was a silversmith who made silver shrines to Diana. And he brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupations and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Nor, moreover, you see and hear that not only here in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuading and turning people, many of them, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. And so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of our great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world now worship. I like the fact that Dr. Luke takes a citywide riot that involves thousands of people, and he writes in verse 23, a small or little commotion broke out. Well, he calls it a great commotion, but a commotion isn't trouble. It's just noise, right? It sounds to me like a full-on riot, and you could die. And it certainly sounded that way when you read the rest of the statement. I guess inevitably, if you live in this world and you want to preach Jesus, uh, sooner or later, the world that you see, try to reach in you are going to clash, right? The warfare is for the souls of men. There is a devil, there is a world, there's flesh, and, and there's the God that we serve who has filled us with his spirit. So getting out to do it, and you can keep peace, and you can be civil, and you can speak quietly, and, and you can certainly you know, be careful in how you go sharing. But eventually, sooner or later, there is going to be this collision. And the collision here was between the gospel that was having a great effect. Remember back in verse 19, they were burning the books to their 
to their pagan gods and, and, and enchantments and all, and the fact that, that all of Asia was now considering the gospel of Jesus because of Paul and his men and his ministry. So the complaint was from a union leader, um, this fella, an organizer, Demetrius, a silversmith, and if you read carefully what you read here, you, you immediately understand that his complaint was not religious. He threw that in at the end. His complaint was financial. If this keeps going, we're going to go broke. You know we've made a pretty penny making these gold statues of Diana. Oh, our great Diana, the one we love, who's magnificent, we don't want to see destroyed. However, man, it's going to inherit our pocketbook. So at least... You know, God tells us that the opposition here, they might have couched it in religious terms, but their main complaint was not religious, it was financial. The stir was, verse 23, about the way. What a great name for the gospel message is going out. Jesus said, I'm the way. And the early church took that as a name for themselves. It is often used in the Bible by the enemies of God. Chapter 9, you find it used again. Not just a part of life, but the way of life. It's a great title. You know, you're not a Christian on Wednesdays at 7. You're a Christian every day, right? You're, you're one who is, is to walk with God. So Jesus is the first and he is the only way. Notice that in his gathering of these laborers from similar occupation as he tries to, to rally the, the labor unions, which there were plenty of in Ephesus at the time, that, that he said to them, you know about this Paul, you know about the gospel, you know about the way that is being preached, you realize everyone is hearing it and we are losing money out our pockets daily because of this man. I don't know if you could have a better compliment. Right? That the world starts criticizing the fact that you, going out to share, are now the cause of, of, of idolaters going broke. It's a cool story. And the head of the Guild of Silversmiths, who calls a union meeting, informs his member that either Christianity has to be stopped or we're going to go broke. That's his concern. By the preaching of the, of the Word of God, thousands of people we're turning from this dead, lifeless metal object to a living God. It was happening everywhere. Three years in one place. And this is the result that Paul could find. People realized that God loved them, that he sent his son to die for them, that, that they could respond in faith to him, that he was now come to dwell in them. And it, like I said, it wasn't just the Ephesians. All throughout Asia, and, and just look there on the map of all of those cities, in all of those areas, these are all, where all the seven churches of the book of Revelation are, in this area. All of these churches established because someone was preaching the word of God in verse 20 that prevailed and grew mightily. It was God's word that was making the difference. Revival was in full swing. In Ephesus, the result was being felt in the idol-making industry. They were losing patrons, they were losing money. Profits were down. Stock splits were necessary to raise capital. First corridor losses were at a record, according to the Wall Street Journal in Ephesus. The bondmakers' bond ratings were dropping like lead weights. 
Everything was going against them because of the preaching of some folks who loved Jesus. Demetrius and others who were made wealthy by their idle income, living affluent lives, were now in real jeopardy of losing it all. And I'll tell you what, that bonfire from last week hadn't helped either. It just reaffirmed that Paul had gotten under the skin of people. They were being touched and changed. In fact, by the time we get to verse 29, the whole city will come together at the amphitheater to chant and yell and scream. And, and it's not just a great commotion, Luke. It's a crazy riot. It is amazing for me to think that the, the body of Christ and the gospel of Jesus can have this kind of influence. But it sure gives me great hope. Because a lot of times we see things just, you know, we're filling a city with idolatry. I mean, this was a terrible place to be. And yet, just so a few years later, everything's changed. I don't know how many people you have, I'll just ask you and you can answer for yourself. How many people this year have you prayed with to receive the Lord, you personally? Or, or how many people have you this year looked them in the eye and said, look, here, let me tell you how you can get to heaven. And, and if you're not doing that, why are you not doing that? We have this great opportunity to, to have the Lord use us to make a difference in the society in which we live. Not enough to just stand around and point fingers and say, oh, I don't like this, or the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Might be so, but you're putting the world, man, to reach out with the, the love of Jesus. He's powerful. So speak up and step out. Now, like I said, this silversmith, Demetrius, was, was not so crass as to speak about money because that is what he cared about. But he, he cloaks, cloaks it, especially in verse 27, with these feigned religious words of, of concern regarding the temple of Diana and her honor. And to be honest with you, it was the religious aspect that stirred up the furor of the people. Most of them weren't in the profit line. They didn't make money. They, they, made, they made donations to these silversmiths. But most of the folks had a, a genuine though very misguided, allegiance to these idols. So he didn't appeal to their money because he was a rich guy anyway. He appealed to their religious way of life, which stirred them up, which caused the uproar. And the group of merchants were on board with him, and the crowd went berserk and began to stir things up. There will always be those, especially amongst those religious folks, that will seek to gain wealth at the extent of the religious convictions of others. Um, I've never been in a more religious place than Rome, I don't think. I've never seen more things sold in the name of Jesus in my life. Jesus junk, I called it. But it, it, it is the exploitation of people's religious devotion, even if it's misplaced. And you find the same thing here. The exploiters will come to gain for themselves. It's not a new and novel idea. So in Ephesus, the sale of, of idols was falling while the church attendance was rising and the work of the Holy Spirit was on the move. We were in Wales 10 or 15 years ago, um, helped start a Calvary chapel in a couple of places in Wales. They're still there. They're doing well. But, you know, there was a Welsh revival in, in 1901. I don't know if you are aware of it or not. It, 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 
It was fueled under the anointed preaching of a guy named Robert uh, Murray McShane. And he was a young guy, and the Holy Spirit fell upon this man's life. And he began to preach. And by the time he was done, every tavern and pub in Wales closed. They closed. They didn't close because the owners of these pubs didn't want income. They closed because no one was showing up. In fact, for a period of two and a half years, if you go anywhere where you can find just the Welsh Daily newspaper, look it up if you will online, every morning on the front page of the paper were the names of people that gave their lives to Christ. Hundreds and then thousands and pages of people that were getting saved. There was a genuine Welsh revival. It was an amazing work of God. How many anti-alcohol messages did McShaney preach? The answer is zero. How many times did he go out of his way to, 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 to speak to someone about the evil of going to the taverns on the Lord's Day? He never mentioned it. Real people were being touched with the Spirit of God and saved and filled with the Spirit, and their lifestyles changed so that they lost interest in the appeal of the world. It's exactly what's going on here. The worst thing you can do is preach against something. You'll never wear, your, you'll wear yourself out. There are so many things to preach against. You'll have a book full of preaching against stuff, but it won't help anyone. You start preaching for Jesus, and God gets a hold of the heart. You don't have to worry about how they're going to turn out. They'll turn out just fine. God changes the individual. So, another reason to not get involved with politics from the pulpit, I guess. But, but here in, in Ephesus, with their idol worship, I'll tell you what, the same solution for our culture, for drug use, for pornography, for gang violence, for murder, for abortion, I'll tell you what the answer is. It isn't preaching against something. It's preaching Jesus to the hearts of man. And if enough people get touched, then you get this. You get, you get the effect of the, the godliness of men and the, and the work of God's Spirit in the life of the culture. The only way it works. The only way it can ever work. Unfortunately, we've gotten so far away from having our hope in Christ that we will join every little protest group around because we think somehow that's going to help. That's not going to help. It won't help. Because nobody preached against Demetrius. They just preached for Jesus. And God was able to use them. Jesus alone can change lives. And if enough lives get changed, a culture gets changed. And the users will find no takers. <laughs> the sin peddlers will find no customers. And that's really the way that it wants to be. I, I'm sure some of you came out of some pretty interesting places where you spent your time and money, and you don't go there anymore. You're in church during the week. What's wrong with you people? You're worshiping with a bunch of high school kids, the lead. And we couldn't be happier. God has changed our lives. He did it here as well. People need to just come to Christ. We should engage yourself more than anything else in making sure that that gospel gets out to others. Paul brought an entirely different solution and approach to the needs of the culture than the social gospel people or the political program people do today. I had a guy call this week and said, well, I was down at this other church and they had a guy running for office and why don't you have him at your church? And my answer is really simple. He didn't die for my sins. I'm going to preach Jesus and that's it. If you want more than that, you're not going to be able to be happy here. We're not going to do more than that. Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm only going to heaven because of Christ. And he's the solution that you find. 
that unfortunately is all that we have time for today, but we'll pick up the balance of Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41, the next time we're together. This has been the first part of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3075. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That does finish up our time for today. We invite you to plan on joining us next time as we'll continue working our way through the book of Acts. Until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, the Calvary Chapel Outreach.